Good evening, everyone, and welcome to welcome back to season seven of Airtime. I will now introduce our illustrious leader, Miss Kitty Goddard. Thank you, David. Wow, what a great introductory video. If that doesn't pique your interest, it makes me want to go buy some stamps. <laughs> anyway, welcome to Airtime. I'm Kitty Goddard, president of AIR, Arts Incubator of Richardson. And this particular Airtime begins the second half of our seventh season of Airtime. We are delighted all of you are here. We are thrilled to welcome Dr. Dally Clark as our guest artist. And I will hand the microphone back over to Mr. David Fisher as our moderator. Anyway, please enjoy, and then um, I'll be back in a while. Thank you, Kitty. So as Kitty said, our uh, guest tonight is Dr. Dally Clark. Dally is a humanities professor at Cullen College, an advisory board member for the School of Arts and Humanities at the University of Texas at Dallas, and the Arts Incubator of Richardson, and Cullen College's Lebrecht Endowed Chair for Scholarly and S Civic Engagement. <laughs> Engagement was on the second page. Dr. Clark is the past president of the Southwest Division of the Community College Humanities Association and now serves on two advisory boards in her community de dedicated to the arts. She is the author of, and we'll talk about this in a little later, Pink, a poetry collection published in 2012, as well as various magazine articles and interviews. Let's please welcome Dr. Clark. Now you mentioned in your bio you didn't uh, your teaching career didn't start until 1998 and you were sad about that. What is it that you did before you started teaching? I'm gonna make sure this is live. This is live. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Well, I had kind of a circuitous route to my teaching career, and that's okay. That's okay. Um, I was talking to someone today at the college and, and uh, she was telling me how many jobs she'd had before she became a teacher. And I said, not one of them is wasted. And it's the same with me. When I first got out of college, I had a degree in psychology with a minor in English. I had no clue what I was gonna do. I really didn't have plans. I just needed to work. So my first career was actually in banking and uh, worked my way up through the ranks in banking for eight years and I really enjoyed it. Um, I know that it wasn't my chosen path forever, but I think that it's important that we don't waste any positions that we're given. We learn something from every job, and I grew up in banking. It, it, it taught me about customer service and professionalism and uh, detail-oriented things like that and so forth. Uh, I was blessed to... Um, have a child, my son Drew, he's now 29 years old, and I stayed home with him for about 10 years and did a lot of volunteer work during that time while I was raising him and uh, went back and got my master's degree while he was in grade school. And it was at that time that uh, something really clicked with me when I was in uh, at SMU getting my master's degree. And I just fell in love with the whole education career and concept. And if you're someone who loves learning, teaching is absolutely the best career you could choose. 
Um, I am constantly surrounded by and challenged by wonderful colleagues. And um, so I went on, began teaching, and, and sure, I wish I'd discovered it earlier in life, but you can't go back and have all these regrets. You have to say, okay, I was meant to do this at this time, and, and this is the season for me to now teach. And I love teaching so much, and I wanted to keep learning so much that I went back even uh, later and then got a PhD at the University of Texas at Dallas. Well, I think wherever we enter into it, I think being a, a parent early in life versus mm -hmm. late in life, you mm -hmm. just it's just different. You right. bring more life experience. You certainly exactly. wish I could. I mean, I, I didn't, uh, I wasn't a parent until later in life, and I wish I had done it earlier, but you know, I was a very right. different parent in my 40s rather right. than in my 20s. Right, exactly. So I think it's, and I too have, uh, I too adored academia and kept going back as long as I could. And uh, I think uh, after I, whatever this career path, if, if you had thought I had been, I would work for city government for 25 years, I would have said you're crazy. Mm -hmm. But I think academia, so I, I certainly share that love yes. for you. I'd love, <laughs> love for your, uh, uh, <laughs> Career path. <laughs> sorry, sorry. No, no. <laughs> so tell us about what you teach and the classes you like teaching and uh, the classes you currently uh, mm -hmm. teach. Well, my, uh, my doctorate is in humanities uh, with a concentration in aesthetic studies, which is a fancy way of saying that I took a lot of classes uh, regarding creative writing and so forth. I loved every single class I took at SMU and at, at the University of Texas at Dallas. They were all just wonderful. So when I first began teaching part-time before I became a full-time professor, I actually started with teaching English composition and occasional literature class. But after I got my PhD, I concentrated only on uh, what are called survey courses in the humanities. So I teach Introduction to Humanities, and <clears throat> that is essentially a survey course that allows us to discuss all of the ways we invent and create as human beings. It is a really fun course to teach, and as I tell my students, it's like everything from Bach to the Beatles. It's from cave paintings to Jackson Pollock. It's, it's wonderful. And so we talk about art, music, literature, architecture, uh, science and technology, and how those things affect the way we express ourselves. It's really wonderful. And occasionally I'm able to teach what's called a learning community with a, a, a second professor, and we team teach two courses together. So right now I'm in a learning community with uh, the second half of English composition and my course and we're tying in great pieces of literature and argument with the humanities. So it's, it sinks lovely. Well, and certainly the conversation today, certainly working in the arts, is that creativity and creative expression goes even far beyond painting and music oh, and writing, and yes. that it's knitting and design and architecture and flowers and gardening, and yes. creativity is in everything. It is in everything, and, and I tell my students who sometimes uh, are worried, for instance, when I introduce the creative project, uh, the first thing they think of is, oh, I'm not creative, and I have to reassure them, oh, yes, you are. 
You are creative. Every one of us has a creative voice. We just need to get in touch with that creative voice. And one way you can do that is to, to read a lot. I know I respect my husband very much because he, he continually has a book going. And it's on everything from global economics to gardening. And um, uh, he inspires me with his reading. And I know that it's, it's prompted many creative discussions between us. And, and so I tell my students, um, look at your inner core. What do you enjoy? Uh, do you enjoy uh, refurnishing furniture? Do you, do you enjoy redoing a car, uh, restoring a car? It's all creative. And um, everything we do, it's whether it's a toaster in our kitchen or it's a painting on our wall, someone was involved with the design, the graphics. Um, there's so many levels of creativity along the way. Well, and even now, the way we consume entertainment is curated. We put together playlists. We put together Facebook lists. We curate on our phones what it is that we consume by clicking favorite or not. Mm -hmm. So even then, we're creating uh, essentially collections, anthologies of, of things that we like to. Yes, and I like your word to that we curate. We are, we are selecting and uh, creating our own little mini museums, essentially, with music and the things we like and so forth. And of course, social media has made that very easy to do in certain ways, but in other ways, um, it may have taken away from us enjoying and savoring the actual moment in present time. So I am a little bit concerned about that. Well, and, 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 and also, CB, I mean, that whole notion of our bubbles, if we surround ourselves only with like-minded people who like the same music and like the same movies, True. we're often not exposed to things that might be... Well, that's why I love teaching freshmen in college, because they are, uh, many of them are wide open to the opportunities, uh, but many of them have maybe perhaps never even been out of Texas. And it's so wonderful to see the coming together of minds with international students and students who are homegrown in Texas and so forth. And it's, it's uh, uplifting and it's encouraging to see this younger generation coming together, learning together. It's, it's wonderful. So uh, you just had described yourself as a perturbed poet. Mm. What, do, what do you mean by that? Uh, mostly I'm perturbed when I have no time to do it. And um, that's kind of been the case for a while. I will tell you that that uh, the, the book, Poetry, the Pink, that you mentioned, the poetry collection, um, does everybody remember back maybe around 2011 when we had four snow days? That it, Remember, we were all trapped in our homes. And that is actually when I put together my submission for that package and put those poems in because I actually had some time. And my life is just, it's very, very busy. I love it. I'm blessed by it. Um, but poetry takes time and effort and reflection. And so I look forward to those little pockets um, when they come. And they usually come, because I'm a teacher, they usually come more in the summer right now. 
Um, before I taught full-time, I had a lot more time for poetry. And, and I think you have to get in writing groups. You have to get in, um, well, I, where is Miss Kitty? Kitty um, has threatened me several times if I did not create a poem for a certain event. And you know what, though, Kitty? Thank you. Because you forced me to sit down, reflect on a topic, and craft the words. And so it was actually kind of fun. You know, so I, poetry, poetry by, it's, it was either poetry or death by Kitty. And so I, <laughs> all right, Kitty, I'm going to write these poems. But no, it was really fun. It was, I was really honored. I, I wrote one for um, AIR, and I wrote one for a, a special event for AIR. And those actually were, were poems that I, that, uh, I enjoyed. Now, when you write poetry, do you do it on the computer or do you do it on pen and paper? Very often, it begins pen on paper. Scraps of paper, it could be something, my husband and I could be on a road trip, and the notebook I have in front of me might have two or three lines. Those two or three lines can evolve into a poem years later. I mean, and I tell my students that I, I have taught poetry classes before, and I've just said, don't, don't waste it. Just get those lines or words down. They can grow later into something. If you just capture, capture the image, that's what you need to do. And um, so I am perturbed when I don't have enough time to do it, but hopefully that will change. I find when I'm writing that... I, the, I always do the notes and the sort of idea sketch out on paper and then go to the computer and write it out. Exactly. But then to edit, I need to go back to paper and actually see it in space and in relation to each other and be able to write notes and ideas and draw arrows and yes. circles. And, and that's, that's true. I think still uh, sort of a hybrid method is good. So then I will type up the poem and, of course, you know, the magic of cut and paste and all that's wonderful if you want to move a stanza or change a line and so forth. But I agree with you, printing it out, I read it out loud, and I'll, I'll use some type of colored pen or something to circle words, cross through words. It is. It's a bit of a hybrid process. So uh, in your uh, university page, you have a favorite list of quotes. And I, I, was, I was reading through them. I was struck by one by Albert Einstein, who says, one cannot help but be in awe when he contemplates the mysteries of eternity, of life, of the mar marvelous structure of reality. It is enough if one tries merely to comprehend a little of the mystery every day. Never lose a holy curiosity. So, so this, this love for curiosity of, of the breadth of life, where did this come from? Did you, have you always had it? Did you learn it? at some point in your life? Was, a, was it someone who gave it to you, inspired you? Hmm. I've loved learning my whole life. Uh, I, uh, I was very fortunate that teachers instilled in me in grade school uh, a love for learning. And that, of course, has to you know, there has to be a core of you that wants to do that. There has to be a curiosity, to use his word. But uh, I've told my students that when you realize what you don't know, 
you are always going to be curious. And if you, if you embrace what you don't know, there is always something to learn and to, to, to long for and, and to um, study, uh, read, listen, watch, walk. I mean, everything. This, this is an incredible earth and world we live in. And um, I don't, if we wake up every day thinking everything is so normal, um, what are we doing? We're just wasting it. I remember from one of those little perpetual calendars, there's a, um, there was a saying one year that I read, and I've kept this in my mind, and it was, oh, normal day, what a treasure you are. And I don't know who said that, but every day is a treasure if you're curious. There's, there's just nothing that we can't do. There are people, they, they walk by libraries and they don't go in. They don't check out a book. They don't, they don't stop and listen to music. They don't stop and look at a piece of art. Um, curiosity is really the key to a rich, full life. It was, I was reminded of that in the video where you talked about putting pieces of yourself into letters, that pressed leaf. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, what are some things I could put into letters? Mm -hmm. um, but it's that walking down the street. And if it's my, uh, my son and I, I live downtown. And we were, for about a week, there was a dead bird on the ground. And we would walk past it every day. And sort of, there's the dead bird. And it sort of went through its transformation over the week. And it, but it was fascinating to sort of pass by it and check in with the dead bird. Um, but it just, it was just as, an, as a notion of curiosity, mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. saying, isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. You know, what a, what a strange world where this is in the middle of all of this uh, steel and cement. There is this little bit of unhumanity, I suppose. Yeah. So, so uh, moving on to the exhibit, you have the exhibit at Collin College for one more week. Yeah, uh, yes. Let's see. Today is the, yes. 15th. Uh, it does close next Wednesday, the 22nd. I would really love and be honored if you would attend, um, visit the, the gallery. The, um, I'd be happy to talk to you about the specific hours and so forth, but basically it's Monday through Thursday till 8 at night, and Friday and Saturday the gallery closes at 3 o'clock. It's closed on Sundays. Um, I don't recommend waiting until the very last day on the 22nd because we may be dismantling a few things. We've got a few interesting pieces in there. Um, I would say 85, 90% of everything in there my husband and I own, but there are a few pieces like some airline seats, which that's a whole other story about why we have airline seats in there. Uh, we don't own and we need to return them to the uh, C.R. Smith Museum and so forth. So yes, I would love for you to come. And the the film, the trailer that you just saw, um, I worked with a, a wonderful videographer named Vernon Hadnot at our college. And I'd like to also give a shout out to Marlene in our, our audience who heads up our graphic design. She was one of the people in my game room when we were shooting some of that footage. and. Um, Marlene, I believe it was your hands on the little moving typewriter. Um, we have an excellent PR staff, and they have worked hand-in-hand hand with me to get out the word about this exhibit and so forth. And 
I've been overwhelmed by the response and the comments that people have made about it and how it's, a, how it's impacted them and so forth. I'm working also, though, on a separate short mini-documentary, probably be anywhere between 10 and 15 minutes, that we hope to have done by the end of next week. And, and that is another videographer I'm working with named Jake Robertson. And um, I'll be presenting it at the uh, Texas Community College Teachers Association Conference in Austin. And the way that it differs from this video is that it is actually going to uh, depict and show many of the pieces in the exhibit, but it's also going to show interviews by people who are discussing how letters have impacted their lives. And uh, many of you in this audience might have a particular letter story, a time when you received a letter or sent a letter, the memory of writing a letter, uh, maybe a letter you never sent, maybe a legacy letter you received. Uh, a lot of us have memory stories and um, memory stories that relate to letters. So hopefully we're going to capture the essence of these people's stories in the mini-doc, and um, I'm looking forward to getting that done. Was that the uh, inspiration for the exhibit in the first place? No, no. Um, when I worked on my doctorate at the University of Texas, you have to come up with a topic, obviously, for your dissertation, which is essentially a book-length uh, piece that you write. And uh, years and years ago, my mother, who was an antique dealer, had just given me an old shoebox of some letters, just some old, nothing uh, outrageous, no famous people or anything, just some letters that she had found uh, while antiquing. And um, she asked me, you know, every now and then she'd give them to me, and she said, every now and then, have you, have you looked at those letters or read any of those letters? And I said, oh, Mom, I'll get to them, you know. Thank you, and I'll, I'll get to them. I, um, then I found in my own, uh, my own neighborhood, I was at a garage sale. I'm the garage sale queen. And I found a $2 book. It was a vintage 1960s Hallmark book called The Spirit of the Letter in Painting. And I turned the pages, and I saw all these beautiful paintings by... Uh, the masters like Vermeer, and they were all related to the theme of letters uh, being written or, or people reading letters. In addition to that, being married to my husband, Larry Bassick, who's sitting here in the front, his family never threw away anything. And we are so blessed that we have just volumes of letters from the 1800s forward. So the combination of my mother sparking my curiosity with the written word and, and just, just the lovely bridges of communication, like maybe between mother, daughter, just common letters, but so beautiful, so human. You know, everything about from um, just what's going on in their daily lives and what seeds they got at the market and what they're going to plant and what aunt was coming to visit. It's just this beautiful daily life, all in, in handwriting, you know? And so things just sort of percolated in my mind, and I, I just began seeing letters everywhere, 
I saw it in the uh, music that was inspired by letters. I began collecting sheet music that uh, all was about letters. I began seeing films and TV shows and episodes, and every time I'd look, I'd, I'd, I'd see a new letter aspect to it, you know, how the plot is driven by the letter or the characters were developed by the letters or so forth. So um, in addition to the paintings and the music, films and so forth, I just uh, realized that somebody needed to put together a whole essentially ode to the letter. And so what I did was I, I was arguing about the fact that we needed to elevate the letter itself as a piece of art. Not, not in just the cliche way of, oh, the old lost art of handwriting, but in a true way in which we critique art from a, a, a fine art, from a, a critical standpoint. And so that, was, that made up the bulk of my dissertation. But I devoted a whole chapter to proposing a museum exhibit. And although the arts gallery is not a museum, I'm so honored that my college allowed me through this Lebrecht Endowed Chair position to um, have the time, the extra time, to put the exhibit together. We had wonderful staff from the arts gallery and, and Julie Ship, the arts director, uh, arts gallery director, um, wonderful staff to help me pull it together. My husband has been so tolerant of me collecting item after item after item from, you know, the poor man has awakened at three in the morning to see me on my iPad ordering letter slots from eBay. <laughs> and uh, he's also been very patient. In fact, he has probably framed 80% of what's in the exhibit. And so uh, when I got the uh, endowed chair position, I knew this was the time I was actually going to get to see this dream come true. And it has been a joy. It has been an encouragement to my spirit to see people walk in and ooh and ah over meaningful, deep communication. And I think that we, as a culture, we have this letter-sized vacuum in us, you know. Um, we have this innate need to communicate on a deeper level. And as much as I love my digital tools, which I do, my husband can attest to that, that phone is always with me, that iPad is nearby, my laptop, I teach online courses. I love my digital tools, I really do. But I also see that in some ways they are robbing us of deep reflection and time that's not uh, so distracted and taken away. I, there's a great book by Maggie Jackson called Distracted that I highly recommend everyone read. We cannot let machines just take over our lives. My husband reminds me, we need to be in control of the devices. Let's not let the devices be in control of us. And it's been a joy for me also to work with my young students, 18, 19, 20 years old, although sometimes I have older students coming back to college. 
they have been surprisingly very open to this when we talk about it in class. And every now and then, they'll have a memory, even the young ones, of a pen pal in grade school, uh, notes passed in class, uh, letters from the grandparent. And when it's brought up, when people hear about this topic, it resonates with them. And that's what's encouraging me, that we need this. We need to not just be completely saturated with our digital tools. We need to be able to embrace both. It's not about either or. It's and, and, and that's just fine. And in fact, everybody, if you didn't take one, I brought some free stationery so that everyone could take a note card and an envelope. Take two, because I think we have enough. And, and just sometime over the next week, just ask yourself who, whose mailbox would, um, as the post office says, be brightened by a letter from you, a note, someone that really needs to hear from you. We even have a special door. It's a red standing door. I bought the ha from Habitat from Humanity that uh, wonderful uh, man named Gary Zumwalt who donated his time to build the frame so that the door could stand free, freestanding in the exhibit. And then I have a beautiful vintage letter slot in it. And it's the, the red door of encouragement is what I'm calling it in the exhibit where people can write a note of encouragement, an anonymous note, put it through the letter slot, and it falls into a nice little basket behind it, and then go around and pick one out for yourself. And um, so that's been really fun to watch. And my own little grandchildren, granddaughters, have had a ball with that letter slot, just pushing things through. So, there, you know, there's just something about having the physical, the tangible uh, piece of communication in our hands. And even a National Archives education specialist who visited my class the other day said that even they do not know just how long digital uh, material will last, data and so forth. I mean, there's, we're really not sure. You know, it's, it's uh, but paper has outlasted us for hundreds and hundreds of years, even thousands of years. Paper has lasted. So it's just something to think about. So I have some some writing on floppy disk that I don't know quite what to do with yeah. anymore. And that it's not is even exactly, that. exactly right. You are right on. So uh, if the exhibit closes next week and then your documentary is coming to a close, what's next on the horizon? What's your next uh, creative well, project? Well, first and foremost, I want to say that I'm hoping that this exhibit will be able to travel. I would, uh, I am already going to to uh, show some pieces in April for an event. So I would really love to hear from some public spaces who would like to take the uh, the majority of the pieces and showcase them at libraries and. Um, various public venues and so forth. So I'm hoping that will happen. Um, oh, my husband knows. I've always got something up my sleeve. Let's see. Um, where's Sarah? I've got a screenplay that I would love to finish and work on. 
Uh, I'd love to get back to poetry, um, but this is this is never going to be far from my heart. I'm I'm always going to keep. I'm always going to work on the letter in some capacity. In fact, one of the things I would really love to do is have an entire performance, Ode to the Letter, in which um, we combine poetry, dance, uh, music, and so forth, uh, and also uh, traditional, I, I would say, I, I'd, li I'd like people dressed in period dress reading excerpts from famous letters. So it would be an entire performance review basically owed to the letter, and we'd have to come up with some catchy name. So I really think that would go over quite well. I do. And who was the last letter you wrote to? Hmm, let's see. Well, I wrote a note to Miss Kitty today, thanking her because I wanted her to know that she is a blessing in my life. And, uh, but I, uh, I have two little granddaughters, and I'm really enjoying writing letters to them. Um, I get to hear about what they did with the stickers that were enclosed, and sometimes they end up in really weird places. But um, I am really hoping that uh, their parents will keep these letters so they can see a progression, because the oldest one is now reading and writing a little bit herself in first grade, of course. So now it's a joy to me to know that she can actually read the letter. And um, those are really fun for me to write. So we've got a little time for audience questions. Um, go ahead and just raise your hand. We'll call on you. And I will, for the purpose of the recording, I'll repeat your question. So I'm not actually just asking you again, but I'm repeating it for the uh, recording. Any questions? Did you ever write a letter that you didn't send, and why didn't you send it? I can't think of a letter that I actually wrote and didn't send, but I've written them in my head and not, <laughs> and not written them down. Certainly, I guess everyone has situations in their life that they would like to improve upon or things they wish they had said or they, or they need to express, and they... Uh, the letter feels like a safe place to do it. And actually, therapists uh, have said that it's, it's actually a good tool for expressing things. And the letter doesn't have to be sent. It could just be torn up afterwards. But it's a cathartic to just get it out. But thank you. Over here. Do you encourage letter writing in your students, and do you find that some of them have never written letters? Sarah, thank you. That's a great question. Um, <clears throat> because of my work with letters, I've been doing anonymous surveys with the students for about, it's probably been five or six years now, uh, asking them about their letter writing practices. And each semester, I'm seeing, as, you know, as time progresses, less and less uh, excuse me, fewer and fewer students are 
have said they've either, ever received or sent a letter. So, uh, and of course, with the changes in school curriculums and so forth, many of them uh, have never learned to uh, write in cursive and, uh, or they've forgotten how. So one of the things we do, the, the creative project I have in my class is on the theme of letter writing, but they can talk about anything communication-wise, modern day, so forth. That's one of the ways that they, they get initiated back into this. They read articles about it. I show them some, some wonderful uh, YouTubes on penmanship and so forth, and we, we just kind of have some fun and practice with it in class. Then I actually do give every class I have free stationery. Not big sets where they're monogrammed or anything, but I mean, you know, dollar store. Uh, I always tell them I, I go to the dollar store or I'll go to Big Lots or any place I see great deals on stationery. Uh, TJ Maxx, Ross, Marshalls, anytime I see them. And I bring these to class and I let them just go to town, pick out the pretty stationery or and I try to make it um, across the board in taste and aesthetic, aesthetics and so forth. And I ask them to let me know if uh, sending the letter ends up in some kind of a positive way. And many of them have shared stories that, you know, they ended up writing to grandma or they sent that letter to such and such. And the, the stories are very heartwarming. They're wonderful. Over here. Yes. Tell us about the black box letter, the black frame letter. That that was a piece of mourning stationery, uh, especially in the Victorian era. That was popular, and there is a very famous song called "The Letter Edged in Black" that was written in 1897. I think it's Hattie, Nevada, and. It has been recorded all the way into the 20th century by people like Johnny Cash. But the whole essence of that was that when you were waiting for the postman to bring your mail, you did not want to see him bringing you a letter edged in black because it meant that someone had died. Uh, someone was in grief uh, and so forth. And so I put a sample of one of those with the framed... Uh, sheet music, the letter edged in black, so they're they're together in the exhibit. And in my husband's uh, families, they we've got several pieces from that as well. That one I got from England. One more question, way in the back. Have you ever challenged your students to pick one person and only communicate by letters? You must be a teacher. <laughs> That's a wonderful idea. They would probably throw me out of the classroom, but um, no, it, it is a great idea. Every now and then when we talk about digital devices in our world and so forth, I ask them the question, what would it be like if we all turned in our cell phones? How long could you last? And we, we, we reflect and talk about that. So that's kind of on that line of, of what you're saying. But um, I think that's a wonderful idea. I really do. I will tell you that uh, some of the veterans that I've taught 
share wonderful stories about when they're in basic camp, that the letters, tangible, physical letters, were the only communication. And those times between their families, their loved ones, and them, those letters have been very precious. And it's, it's allowed them to get to know each other in more intimate ways because they were limited just to letters. Thank you so much. Uh, we're going to finish up with our airtime tradition, the top 10 questions, which should give you an amusing but insightful uh, view into Dr. Daly's uh, psyche. Oh, no. So just, uh, just quick answers. Most of them are all quick answers, yes or no, choices one or two. So uh, number one, pizza or hamburgers? Both. <laughs> number two, chocolate or vanilla? Oh, chocolate. Number three, the Beatles or the Rolling Stones? Beatles. Number four, Lady Gaga or Madonna? Lady Gaga. Number five. Her, her album with Tony mm -hmm. Bennett is excellent. Yes. Uh, number five, I Love Lucy or the Mary Tyler Moore Show? Oh, that's a hard one. Two beautiful ladies. Let's go with Lucy, though. Number six, one book everyone should read at some time in their life. Well, this may sound cliche and old-fashioned, but I think everybody should, should read uh, Holy Scripture that's important to them. And for me, of course, it's the Bible. In fact, I have in the exhibit that my husband hand calligraphied um, the love uh, excerpt from 1 Corinthians mm. 13. A lot of people don't realize that 21 books in the New Testament are letters, and 13 were written by Paul. And so, uh, to me, those letters are beautiful and encouraging, and um, um, they give us a lot of food for life. Letters in prison and in exile. and yeah. One movie everyone should see at some time in their life. Well... It better be Pride and Prejudice. That's all I can say. <laughs> Did yeah. you see Pride and Prejudice and Zombies? I have not, but but one of the daughters has given me the book, which I, I need to read. I did see it, and it was really rather marvelous. If okay. The one country you want to visit next. Mm, oh, my husband and I have been talking about that. Uh I'm, I'm going to go with France because, believe it or not, he and I have traveled a lot. We've we've been to China. We've 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 been to several places in Europe. We've been to Egypt, Israel, Turkey, and and I have I personally have never been to France. All right. If you came to back, if you came back to life as a zoo animal, what would it be? This is the tough one. Zoo, a zoo animal, so it can't be just any animal. It has to be a zoo animal. Lord have mercy. Um, Would you like a lifeline? <laughs> Would you like to call a friend? <laughs> oh, well, I would say I certainly love sea life, so how about a dolphin? The one person you wish you could write a letter to today and get one back to in return. 
My dad has passed on a long time ago. And, and this is my ending thing to say to all of you. If you have a child, write to that child. Write legacy letters. Um, I know my dad loved me. The only piece of actual mail I have from him in a letter form, it was a postcard, and it had a picture of the Parthenon on one side. And he, he was a flight engineer in the Air Force, and he wrote it to me on my 11th birthday. He was apparently in the plane, and he wrote the postcard. And uh, to this day, of course, that makes me feel special that he thought of me on my birthday so far away. But I wish that, I wish he were back and that I could write him a letter and that we could have that kind of bridge between us, you know, because I just, I just wish I had that chance and that I could get one back from him so that I have more than just that postcard. Thank you so much. Everyone, please uh, thank uh, Dr. Dally Clark. Um, well, well, thank you, both of you. That was very insightful, and um, I, I am a, a. Oh, yeah! Don't forget to get stationery. It will be there throughout, and it will be there after the movie. So please take some and and heed uh, the words of advice and write some letters. Um, and go see the exhibit. I have made the time to be there, and it was it's a wonderful, very insightful, well-done exhibit. You will be glad you went. Now I have to remind you that the next airtime is on March the 15th. It is in a partnership with the Dallas Goethe Center, and we will be featuring UT Austin professor Dr. Jim Kearney, also talking along the lines of communication, but it's about the disappearing German dialect in Texas. And you think, well, that's a little obscure, but actually it's not, and you will find out when you come to the airtime why it's not. And then the movie, which you're gonna think, why did you pick that movie? But we have, we have good resources to tell us this was the perfect movie. The movie will be Blazing Saddles. And you go, Blazing Saddles? That's because there was a huge acceptance of the movie Blazing Saddles in Germany when it came out. And they did their own version with subtitles at all. And so this is a huge hit. So anyway, we hope that you will be here. I have to just give credit very quickly to Eric Wise of Weltstar Advisors, who is here this evening, for underwriting airtime as well as the Richardson Cultural Arts Commission, and there's an arts commissioner here this evening as well. And also, I just want to tell you that also that with uh, um, AIR, our, one of our advisory board members, Liz Conrad, who is also here, has one of her works of art in Dally's exhibit. And as a final word, I never forced Dally to write a poem. <laughs> Enjoy the movie, and thank you to the Alamo Drafthouse Cinema staff.